Have you heard The Message? It's an original science fiction podcast from Panoply and GE Podcast Theater. All of season one is available now, so listen and find out why a 70-year-old alien recording seems to be killing people. Search for The Message on iTunes. Hi, this is Girl Boss Radio from Panoply. I'm Sophia Amoruso, founder of Nasty Gal and the author of Girl Boss. Every week, I talk to a different woman who's super inspiring, whose work I love, who I may or may not know, who I will know better by the end of the episode, and you will too, to find out how they got their start and extract tidbits from their successes. Today's guest is Sloan Crosley. But first, Liz is back. Liz Carey, my funny friend who kicks off the show with me sometimes. Uh. Uh. What's that? What's that the sound of, Liz? Excitement. I'm going to Target after this. <laughs> what are you getting at Target? I can't decide if I'm going to go real tree or fake tree. Oh, they have real trees at Target? I don't think so. So I you... want to see how bad they are at Target before <laughs> I make any decisions. You know, yeah. I have a budget of $60, so I'm going to try and spend <clears throat> 1000 <laughs> <laughs> So two weeks ago, we um, introduced Girl Boss Moments. Mm-hmm. Hashtag Girl Boss Moment. And I asked our listeners to hashtag girlbossmoment on their social media accounts what it was they did over the last week that was a crowning achievement, the thing that they could be the most proud of, the thing that got them an inch closer to... Girlbossdom? Girlbossdom. That's a good one. And so we shared ours, and we'll share this week's again. But first, I want to... Read some girl boss moments from yeah. our listeners because it's fun. Yeah. Liz, do you want to start? I see one right off the bat that I love. Vivian Daly went on vacation by myself. Girl boss That's moment. That's pretty cool. I've done that. I've done that too. And I mine like, mine didn't go so great. Ooh, mine was like, mine was great. And I went to the surf shack and rented a bike because I didn't have a rental car. I was in Hawaii mm-hmm. and I went to the surf shack and rented a bike and there's this French guy there who Ooh. I had to give him all my info yeah. to like rent the bike. But he was like, Hot. Uh, he was like, what's your name? I was like, Sophia. And he was like, Sophia, what are you Sophia. doing later? He was just like so smooth. Like, what are you doing later? Yeah. They're very good like that. And friends. I was like, um, nothing. I'm on vacation by myself. I'm going to be on my bike with um, a baguette. He was okay. He had a Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings t-shirt. Ooh. But when I asked him, if you like Sharon Jones, I was like, oh, I like them. And he was like, I don't know what this T-shirt is. My friend's making a documentary <laughs> about them. I was like, you're, wow. I'll throw that in. Maybe not so cool. But it was it was like a hot, sexy time. Mine was the opposite. I went to Karakia. Do you know that place? Yeah, in Palm Springs. In Palm Springs. And it just looked so beautiful. But I just got dumped. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just drive out here and have like a really awesome drive. And then I got there and it was every couple in love and like mm. one lounger. And I I did, did. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that's, I've done that trip too. So after this trip, this was, that one was maybe in 2011. It was right after the company moved to LA and I was like, all right, my first vacation in five years. Yeah. And that was, I went to Turtle Bay Resort. That uh-huh. was the one where the French guy was uh-huh. because it was in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh Yeah. It was that place. So I was like, I'm going to go to that yeah. place. I tried to recreate it and I took myself to the Four Seasons in Wailea. Yeah, which was wow, like, you wow, really went for it. Big upgrade. Years later, yeah. I tried to do this solo trip. I went there and I, I, I was in a relationship at that point. Either way, it was yeah. just everyone was on their honeymoon. And if they weren't, they had Ugh. kids. And I just looked, I just felt like such you a felt weirdo. Like such a we- that's how I, I just felt like such a weirdo. Yeah, I know that feeling And then too. I tripped by the pool one day. And then, you know, when you trip and you try and act like it was the ground's fault, like you, <laughs> you look back at it like, oh my, that's so crooked over there. It's so <laughs> stupid. They should fix that whole area over there is dumb. I'll be over here with my towel. Because there's no lounge chairs, for one. Oh, wow. They were like double. It was busy. Yeah, it was busy. Crocky is pretty cool. We there. should go back there. We will. As a couple. Girls trip. couple of ladies. <laughs> so congrats, Vivian, for doing that. Yeah. All right. I'm going to read one. Yeah. Let's see. Okay, this one I really love. Teresa Compton, her girl boss moment is every time I drive my new car past my old job. 
Boom. Booyah. Teresa Compton. Hey, Teresa Compton at Compton Digital. That's a pretty good one. She gives like a slow wave. <laughs> yeah. She just farts out the window. <laughs> she slows down. Slow, <laughs> slow clap at her yeah, old job. Like, gets out and like shakes her hair like a Pantene totally. commercial. <laughs> she's like, oh, sorry, I dropped some loose change here. <laughs> I left my last paycheck. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Look at how cute my new outfits are. My Whoopsies. Beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> Check out my rims. <laughs> I've got a new stereo. <laughs> Kenwood. <laughs> it's a maple dash. <laughs> anyway, Yannicka, um Wait, can I read it for the yes. very first time? I told a boy I loved him. Is my girl boss moment. That's really hard. That's pretty cool. Did you whisper it or say it out loud so he could hear it? <laughs> Did you yell it in his ear? I'm always like this. I love you. <laughs> Except it's date one and then it's weird. I'm usually like... I... <laughs> I'm always like, will my couch fit into your apartment? Let me measure this. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, why aren't you helping with my career? <laughs> why are you helping with my career? <laughs> um, okay, so what's new with you, Liz? Why you sound so casual, Sophia? Um, <laughs> what's new with me? I decided it was the first year I didn't have my son for Thanksgiving. So I threw myself a pity party, which is fun and not very girl boss of me. But I turned that pity party around. And I took it on down to the Midnight Mission and volunteered, <clears throat> which I suppose will also be my girl boss moments. And I got the privilege of cutting up the turkeys, which I hadn't. You don't really want to complain when you get to a volunteer job, but there was all these other <laughs> jobs that looked way easier, like <laughs> wrapping the silverware. And then funnily enough, there's this really hot guy in the kitchen. He's like, so what would you rather do? And I saw that he was tearing up the turkeys. And I was like, oh, I can totally tear up a turkey. <laughs> it's no. so hard. It's so hard. You can't really even cut a chicken. And I kind of thought like, okay, well, they'll rotate you out of this. You know, mm -hmm. like there's no way I'll be. Carpal tunnel. Literally tore up chicken. And I started to feel it like starting to smack my neck. And I had Ew. gloves on. Like gloop from the chicken? Just because you have Turkey? to. Turkey? Yeah. And then, and, and you know, they save every little bit to make the soup. So we had these chum buckets. And I was like, why am I not wrapping silverware? But anyway, it was really, it was really fun. It was really rewarding. It's the same. I worked there quite a bit. And I wanted, What is the Midnight Mission? It's a really cool rehabilitation center for men only. But they serve. No wonder you went. That's why I like it there. So. <laughs> Men's only homeless shelter that I like to hang out at. <laughs> no, they serve the general public. They do three meals a day for everyone, but they have an upstairs rehab center that rehabs just men. And they're all really interesting people. You know, they really want to share what happened to them and how they got to, you know, what's going on. So I spent a lot of time hanging. But you know what I did want to say? Everybody on my Instagram, like I put it up for them to because everybody wants to volunteer on Thanksgiving and that's not when they need help. They need help like three days before. Yeah. And everybody writes the same thing. They go, oh, my God, would you tell me next time you go? And it's like, no, that's not that's not a social not thing. I'm not going to round up a group of people to go like the to whole go feel good point about themselves. is to go and either. I mean, I would go with, you know, maybe one friend, but the whole point is to go by yourself and check out and meet people and really hear what's going on with people. So I was just really taken aback by how that's many funny. people. I feel like I would be one of those people because I don't have any perspective like that. So I think that's really interesting. It was, it was interesting. I'm not mad at them. It was just sort of like, just go, just get in the car and go. So, mm -hmm. you know, you want to help just fucking do just it. Just get in the car and drive yeah. right on down there. Yeah. What did you do? Oh, little lady. Girl boss moment. Oh my gosh. I guess my girl boss moment was listening to the signs mm -hmm. this week. Or in the last couple of weeks. So sometimes it's just so obvious that you need to look at all the things that are happening and take a cue. I just feel like there's been all this mischief in the air and all these funny, unexpected things keep happening to me, whether it's fleeing a cruise ship oh my God, or like ending best, up yeah. in New York with not the right amount of clothes. And then I have a, an update on my trip to New York. By the end of the trip, I had fractured my arm. So I have a sling on my arm now. Which I'd like um, to just interrupt and say that only Sophia, within 14 minutes of getting the sling, I get a text that says, I have got to change the color on this thing. <laughs> I ordered one on Amazon like while I was still in the ER. With one like, hand? No. Yeah. Tap, tap, um, tap, tap, tap. <laughs> what colors do these slings come I in anyway? I was at my friend Andy's wedding, and it was, you know, it's a good wedding when somebody falls dancing. Yeah. So champagne, 
dancing, after party, late night, just went twirling off in the wrong direction. Did it hurt? Or were you so champagne that you were like, oh, I'm good? It hurt, but I'm tough. I cried for a second. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, getting it together. It's 2 a.m. And you're, yeah. It's like me with, and the, then, with the concrete. You're like, that dumb dance floor is crooked. Yeah. No one saw it happen, thank God. Ooh. So no one helped me up. But I got up real fast. I got legs. And I, I cried in my husband's jacket for a second and then went to bed and woke up the next morning realizing, like, oh, my God, I can't really move my arm. And it hurts to bend my fingers. That's... And So that was funny. So I felt like that was kind of a little bit of the universe telling me to slow down. I, yeah, yeah. And I think just the booming message between, like, finding myself in a place that I don't really belong in Miami to getting to New York and really enjoying New York for the first time in so long because I didn't have anything on my calendar. I know. Went to the Whitney with my husband and, you know, just had time to, like, meander and think. And by the end of it, I was, like, injured. You're a pirate. uh, Came home and canceled my trip to Tokyo for New Year's. Oh, you did? Why? I'm so over-traveling at a certain point. It's like, this is cool. This is, oh, that sounds cool. This is... And then it's just even for Why pleasure. Why am I secretly excited? Because I was going to say, let's go to New York. I don't want to go anywhere. You can come over and eat popcorn and be dumb. I don't know. I don't want to party. party. I just want to take my dogs out to poop. And Here we go. Um, anyway, my girl boss moment was slowing down and canceling my trip. My very potentially cool and exciting trip for New Year's because I know that's what I need right now. See, you're making things come to fruition. Didn't we have a discussion about saying yes to too many things? Mm-hmm. Look at you. Look at me saying no. Look at you, Nancy Drew. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. All right, so let's get this thing started. Sloan Crosley is the author of the New York Times bestselling essay collections, I Was Told There'd Be Cake, and How Did You Get This Number?, She's written for The New York Times, New York Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, Elle, and many more. And her work has been a finalist for the Thurber Prize for American Humor. She's very funny. Sloane's now just come out with her first novel called The Clasp. Hi, Sloane. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's good to meet you. So this is like the first one of these that I've done with someone that I've never met before. <gasps> oh, hi. Well, so thanks that's for having cool. me on. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to meet you. I've heard amazing things. Oh, that's cool. Good. Thanks. Good. When did your book come out exactly? October 6th. And this one is selling well, but fiction is a, a very different animal. Like yeah. I'm competing with Fifty Shades of Grey. Do you know what I mean? Uh, like it's uh-huh. not the same thing. That's What does that feel like? Do you like that book? Fifty Shades of Grey? Yeah. I actually, I have a funny story about that book, but I never, I have not genuinely read it, but vintage books. I worked in publishing for a billion years, and vintage books actually published Fifty Shades as a paperback original. My boss and I were quite close, and I was at his house, and, you know, I was about to leave my job, and he's like, oh, yeah, we're publishing this book that's apparently, you know, going to be huge. And he gave me a galley, and there must be, like, 200 galleys of this book and I like flipped through for the dirty parts was sort of unimpressed and threw it in the trash and now it's not the quite it's not quite the same thing as like whoops I had coca-cola stock and I sold it but no it's just a little like I'm sure that would be worth a little bit of money a lot of things that end up being hits are not things that I would expect to be and I just I kind of would have expected that I wish I could see that stuff coming like I wish I was you would expect that one to be? I would have expected that one to be. It's like soft core enough to not offend people. and So that's the thing. It's like very palatable for those who might be easily shocked. Yeah. I met a romance novelist. She told me about a genre of romance novels called Bonnet Rippers. Have you heard of this? As opposed to Bodice? Bonnet. It's Amish romance novels. And there's like a whole genre of it. Yeah. I have a friend who used to send me links to either Amish or Mormon clothing sites. And she's like, you know, some of the stuff has like a APC. bit of a yeah, has a <laughs> bit of like a Rachel Comey vibe. I totally she's I like bet. it might be. <laughs> it's like high collar, you know, cute little delicate buttons down the middle, uh-huh. and like sort of an interesting but not garish pattern. And you're like, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. You were in London, too. Yes. I was in London for the UK book tour. Cool. That's so cool. I haven't done any international book tour stuff. That sounds so fun. It's really fun. It's really fun, and it's also fun for me from two perspectives, because I used to work in publishing, so I see how they do things so differently. Like, if we brought an author over here for a week, and we had only one event, 
and media for them after mm-hmm. the event, mm-hmm. it would be a total fail. Yes, disastrous. Yeah. Exactly. But for them, that's what they do. They, wow. That you're there to do the, the BBC once you're there, and then one or two sort of anchor events. But they're not. They don't like run you through driven. the. No. Yeah. It's totally different from here. And I I went there from Portland, Oregon. Oh, so cool. That was kind of a, a yeah, shift, but it was good. Do you like the doing the events? Do you do yeah. what do you do? What's your format? Do you read stuff? Do you a, give a talk? A to jig. You? This is my theory about readings: is that it's the one thing that has a break in it. Like when you were little, you listened to music, and you never stopped listening to music. You just listened to different kinds or mm-hmm. different kinds of art. But you stop being read to after a certain point, and mm-hmm. then you start going again, sort of in college and post college, and you have to sort of get back into the idea that it's fun. So you have to read something long enough. So that people get into it so that they're not thinking, okay, I have to pick up my dry cleaning. Like, How long do you, you read know? for? I try to keep it to like basically 15 minutes, okay, 12 cool. to 15 minutes. And then I find that people want the Q&A and I actually mm-hmm. also find it the most enjoyable. Yeah, totally. Because I don't think of myself as an expert in anything until someone asks me a question. Yeah. And I think, oh, wait, wait no, oh. there's a definite answer for I that, and I know it, and I shall share it with you now. Uh-huh, right. Totally. Yeah. So that's what I do, and then signing in um, pretty much the same format. I mean, it depends on the crowd of people. Though. Totally. The first time I ever did a reading, and I've only done a few, I didn't know, but people follow along in the book with you. Sometimes. And then you get to see all these people, like, flipping through your book at the same time while you're reading to them, which is just... I don't know. I found that, like, so rewarding. The whole thing is very rewarding. And when people come up to you and they tell you, you know, this is the first reading I've ever been to. Or I started writing totally. because of these essays or this novel or whatever it is. It's, it's actually really overwhelming. And it's so weird because they're always apologetic when they're giving me, like, the greatest gift I could possibly ask for. And yeah. I feel like my mother sent them. And they're like, like, I hope this isn't weird. I'm sorry. But I yeah, and everyone's they spit out, like, the nicest thing in the world. I'm like, why would that be weird? To have someone come up to you and be like, I've changed my behavior because you put something out into the world is so cool. Where'd you grow up? In New York, right? Yes. I grew up in White Plains. How far from New York City is that? I mean, by train, it's a commuter town. It's like, it's 25 minutes probably to the 125th Street Station. Cool. Yeah. What was that like? What did your parents do? They were, uh, my father was in advertising and so he was a account executive. A madman? He, he actually, he doesn't like what he thinks is unrealistic madman. Oh. <laughs> and I recapped it for I Esquire. S- I, saw that. Yeah. I saw that. But that's a hard show to recap because you're just sort of, it's you almost like. You can't take your a, eyes off of. You can't take your eyes off it. Yeah. It's Don almost Draper. a game. Well, that, oh, oh yeah. You can't take your eyes off of a Don Draper, yeah. but you also, it's almost a game of like, I think I wrote those things more for an audience than I've ever written anything else for an audience. Just conscious that there would be sort of a troop of people that were fact-checking it, you yeah. know, for any missed reference. Writing for an audience is a really interesting thing because I feel like you, to write well for an audience, you probably have to intrinsically respect them and possibly even relate with them. Yes. How do you cultivate that in your writing to be empathetic to the person at the other end of your pen? It's a long pen. (laughs) (laughs) Just poking people with it. It's retracted. Um, But yeah, no, I, I'm not sure exactly. I wish I had like a total answer, but I think I have this vague sort of nebulous idea of like eight people reading it. Because if you're only writing for yourself entirely, then I think you risk, especially with nonfiction and it goes for fiction too, you risk sort of the diary entry where, Mm -hmm. you You know, you have to have the constraints you know, mm-hmm. uh, and you have to sort of work with them a little bit. But then if you picture too many people, you start doing things by committee and worried and it can be paralyzing and it's no good for anyone. Totally. So especially with the details, like there's a bit in the novel I just wrote where someone fesses up to smuggling something on an airplane and the character she's talking to says something like, what's up, broke down palace? Mm-hmm. And like, not everyone's going to get that joke. Not everyone has seen Broke Down Palace. I have not seen there it. There you go. Uh-oh. So No, but it's fine. But you just hope that the point of it is, is that if you get it, that's great. And if you don't, hopefully the context is strong enough. Totally. Or that people will just, they can go Google it. And then yes. they're like, wow, these references are awesome. There you go. You don't have to kind of spoon feed everything no. to everyone. No, because then the people who are your ideal audience will think that it's not for them when it is for exactly. them. Yeah, that's such an art. I also read that you didn't always know you were going to be a writer or that you wanted to be a writer. Like, yeah, yeah. So I didn't know. 
I mean, I knew I always told stories, but I was just as much into drawing and, and dioramas and all that stuff as a kid. I think it, when I was really, really little, before the archaeology dream kicked in, I wanted to be the curator of a museum. Once I found cool. out that that was a job, that Sounds you got like a to fun ar- job. Like yeah. arrange the paintings. Pick stuff out. Exactly. I'm sure that there's more, if you know, any curators are listening, I'm sure that's like an oversimplified version of yeah. their job. But I was like, that's so cool. And then I went to college, which was good. But I was majoring in archaeology and anthropology. And then I I knew I wanted to write, but I, I didn't know how much until I was in this creative writing class that was like hard to get into. And I wrote my first short story that was what I thought a short story, like a cool short story would be like. And it was like a Brett Easton Ellis style, like bloodbath, suburban craziness. And I handed it to my professor. And afterwards, after class, she excused everybody. But then she said, Sloan, can I see you in my office? And I thought, oh, boy, Uh this thing is so I was so excited with myself where I was like, this thing is so good that she's going to call the cops. She thinks it's real. Mm-hmm. She thinks I'm psychotic. <laughs> and uh, instead, she sort of she had this great Southern accent, which I won't imitate. But she was like tapping her the paper on her desk. And she said, somebody up there gave you something. But you have no idea what to do with it. And this is not it. Oh, my and God. She slid the paper across. <gasps> and she's like, you need to learn to write like you. Wow. Um, <laughs> was that good advice? Yes. Wow. And it's also device li- delivered in a southern accent and therefore very palatable because they can say more or less kind of warm, anything. still warm. Yeah. They can get away with murder, yeah. them and the British. Um, but totally. so, and then I started really writing. I wrote nonfiction, I wrote essays, I wrote short stories mostly. And I always wanted to write fiction. That's what my senior thesis was. Cool. And then I kind of fell backwards into nonfiction, started writing for The Village Voice, started writing for The Times and all these places. And it was wonderful and a lot of hard work and I'll go back to essays after this but I always wanted to get back to fiction and so hence the class mm-hmm. your literary agent's assistant oh yeah that was my first job was a literary agent's assistant she threw stuff at you yeah but you know what's funny is every time someone reads that essay there's an essay about it in the first book and I was told there'd be cake and every time someone from LA reads that essay they're like big whoop <laughs> <laughs> I don't get things. I don't throw things or get you know things. like pencils. Yeah. I mean, at least I've the, heard. I've heard of these. Things. Yes, like yeah. Harvey Weinstein chucking something at someone. Crazy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But it was an unbound manuscript, so the pages went everywhere. Thankfully. Oh god. But she wasn't. She didn't really throw it at me. She Traumatic. sort of threw it in frustration, and I happened to be standing in yeah. the way. Which I literally sound like a battered wife right now. That I'm but you were like you were bad at your it. job anyway, right? I heard. Well, I became bad at my job. Oh, you know, okay. you don't have that. I was trying so hard, but I knew. Nothing. You know, I know I knew I wanted to work in magazines. All my in- I interned for Mirabella, which is probably dating me, but uh-huh. it's just before it folded. I interned for The New Yorker. I interned for um, Westchester Family Magazine, which I'm sure you have multiple subscriptions. Totally. To and I, I wanted to work in magazines. I couldn't find a job and wound up in book publishing. It turns out I loved it. But, yeah, I just became, you know, when people don't have that faith in you at all. You know, when they're waiting for you to mess up, yeah, it becomes a lot easier to mess up. And I don't, totally. not suggesting I be cuddled or that I needed anything, but it was just so difficult. And then I quit and I went into the other end. If you work in book publishing, you know, an agent is sort of the first line, the, the, the start of the train, I suppose, mm-hmm. where, you know, you submit your stuff to an agent, the agent then sells it to a publishing totally. house. And then... I went all the way to the caboose of the train, which is publicity. So mm-hmm. the final people that push it out yeah. into the world. But it was so fun. And I worked for HarperCollins for about 10 months until I got a call from Vintage cool. asking me if I wanted to come work for them. And I worked there for like eight years. That's amazing. Do you feel like working in publicity has benefited you as an author? You know, it's it goes both ways. Just as much as it benefits me, it's a hindrance either because I know too much Mm-hmm. And, you know, they say doctors make the worst patients. So mm-hmm. it's sort of a question for my publicist. Because you have to work with the pu- – yeah, you're, right. you're, work- you're not str- strategizing I'm working with someone who own. used to have my job. Totally. Right? Or, or I used to have their job, rather. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes it's a conflict of interest. If you know the book reviewer at a magazine or mm-hmm. in a newspaper mm-hmm. – it's they can't review your book and so oh god really yeah i thought that would help you it it actually doesn't i I mean there are times that it's helped where you can sort of send someone an email and a little tap on the shoulder and say hey like just 
you know, it's horrible to do it for yourself, but I just want to make sure you're aware of this. But honestly, I would say just as much, it it actually is a a bit of a a hindrance, which is actually okay. It's fine. It evens out. Have you ever gotten much flack for your writing? Have you ever put something out there that just you had no idea was going to cause such a shitstorm? Yes. Really? (laughs) Of course. Like what? (laughs) The first book of essays I sold at a time when essays were very much not trendy to the point where it was sort of tantamount to publishing a book of poetry, you know, and it was Mm -hmm. a paperback original. So it only came out in paperback. And I sold it for very, very little money. And... It really took off, which was wonderful, but a lot of the things in it, I I didn't really think that anyone was going to read them. And I mean, I was definitely hardest on myself and the most self-deprecating, but there was some deprecation thrown (laughs) at others as well in Mm -hmm. that book. I got disinvited from a wedding because of that book. (laughs) Wow. Yes, which is actually okay because it wasn't really because of the book. It was really because I didn't think they would get married. I actually didn't think they would stay dating and it was a friend of mine and her husband who was actually a perfectly nice person who I just didn't get wasn't my people which is fine I'm not dating him I'm not marrying him mm-hmm. but you know he is a has a bit part in one of these essays and I say some unkind things and I mean the truth is is that even if I had written them in a letter and not the book I would have disinvited me too because you should have people at your wedding who support you you shouldn't have someone who's in the, who's in the back row thinking Oh, wow. You know, and so she's actually a really lovely girl. They're nice. I mean, I think we're not on like evil terms or anything like that. It's just that we don't really. Yeah. We don't hang out anymore. No, that's okay. (laughs) That's like the the risk of telling the truth. It is. But it's also the kind of thing where I regret it partially because I think almost I could have written it better. I look at it now and I think that there's some easy jokes. I didn't need to go for the low hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. But that's really where the regrets come is if you're going to be remotely mean to someone or indict them in any way. A, Mm -hmm. who are you to do it? B, you should have, like, such a great feat of art that it's worth it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if these essays were necessarily worth it. Yeah, there's always fallout. It's unfortunate. I've learned so much of that. What what happened? Well, not really through (laughs) writing, necessarily. There's nothing really too snarky in my book. Mm -hmm. But just through business and loyalties and... You know, those lines in the early days, I think, were really hard right. to draw or to even understand. And right. there's people that I definitely get more than others that I work with. But at the end of the day, it's a certain relationship that I think everyone involved wishes weren't as mercenary at the end of the day as it really is. Yes. Which is, it's the nature of the beast. So navigating that as someone who had never managed people... Right. There's definitely been follow. And, you know, it's like I had a friend who who worked for me who applied for she quit and applied for unemployment. And you can't quit. You have to get fired to apply for unless the employer is so impossible to work for that you are forced to quit. Which is, by the way, probably very difficult to prove, I would imagine. Anyway, we had a falling out, and I saw her in Seattle not that long ago. I reached out to her, and we got together for a coffee. And I, I wasn't sure if we are going to talk about it. And then somewhere it was really natural for me to drop like, um, and then they filed for unemployment, right? Joke. Like yeah. a joke. Like a really Too like soon. sweet kind. No. Right. She laughed. And it was just like, that's all we needed to say. that's all you say. needed to say. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Was... And so, and then we did karaoke like later. Oh, later, well, that it was solves like, everything. Yeah. Are you a good singer? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> If you don't know, you probably are, because I'm definitely not No one. one's ever, you know, covered their ears and screamed, but I, let's put it this way, it is not my backup career. Okay. Yeah. What would your backup career be? Well, when I was, Would you go back into publicity? I can't. Well, I quit because it got too weird. Yeah. Not because I didn't love that job. I actually was it a seems publicist fun. who loved being a book publicist, but it got too weird calling up a newspaper and saying, hey, would you like to promote this book? You know, I'm calling from a random house phone. My book was published by Penguin, but even if it wasn't... They'd say I, now more than once. Now they're the same once, company, right? I know they're the same company now, but they'd say more than once, you know, okay, well, we have one slot. Do you want yours or this one? I'm like, well, okay. I didn't realize every morning was going to be a tiny little Sophie's Choice. Like, I don't... <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> awkward. <laughs> it's awkward. It's awkward. And so it just got... I was burning the candle at both ends totally. and without either job being responsible for the other. So if I'm late with a press release, it's not Random House's problem that I you know, was working on my book. And if I'm late with a book deadline, it's not their problem that I was working on a press release. So it was just mm-hmm. this weird. So I quit. But I have two backup careers. 
one is not going to happen, but it was my dream growing up was to be an archaeologist. Oh, cool. Um, but I think that ship sailed because I can't. I could totally not see competent you khaki. at statistics. Thanks. Yeah. The little, you know, little hat, <laughs> little whip. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think I, yeah, I wanted to be Indiana Jones when I, when I grew up. But I was super into that. And, and in a way, it's connected to writing, you know, digging up mm-hmm. old personalities, I suppose. But then, I don't know, maybe jewelry design. Only, oh, yeah. I say that only because I did a lot of jewelry design research for this novel. Let's talk about your book. It's called The Clasp. It is. Like clasp, like necklace clasp. Yes, and not I, the clasp. Very important distinction. Oh, yeah, I know. yeah, don't want that. There's been some confusion. Um, <laughs> you designed a whole jewelry line to do research for this book. So there's three characters in the clasp. There's one who works for the Internet's seventh largest search engine. And the company folds and he gets fired uh-huh. pretty much right in the beginning. But that didn't require too much research because he gets fired for incompetence. So my ignorance was very helpful because I would myself very quickly get fired from a search engine. And there's another one who's a struggling screenwriter in L.A. And I've had enough meetings like that that I got it. And then what required the most research was Kezia, who works for this crazy eccentric jewelry designer in the meatpacking district and she I really had to look into because I've never worked in any jewelry company big or small and she has left the world of like fine stones to work for this woman who makes necklaces out of like petrified rat teeth and cement pipes Mm. Mm. (laughs) kind of interesting and so they have this sort of fraught relationship and I had to figure out what would go wrong with a piece of jewelry. So I had to then, which sounds easy enough, but then I had to research the manufacturing and, you know, go to the 50s in Manhattan and go to some of these jewelry shops in the Diamond District. And Are they kind of sleazy or what? Yeah, but they're great. Yeah. They're great for that, though. Cool. They're great for story and totally. for character and texture. And also I had a friend, a couple friends, but one in particular named Lisa Salzer, who runs a company called Lulu Frost. Mm-hmm. I wanted all of these characters to have to leave the country. And so I asked her, what would be something wrong with a necklace where you would have to go to Europe to fix it, specifically France? And she had an answer, and it was enamel. And that becomes Mm. what's wrong with the necklace in the story. Because I wanted it to be realistic for... You know those two hundred people who might know. <laughs> yeah, not one of those like horror movies where people just keep going back inside for no reason. Right, exactly. Where yeah. it's like, why won't you? Why wouldn't that person? Or even it doesn't even have to be horror movies. You know, romantic comedies where you're like, this could all be solved this if is, one of you just tells the dumb. other one. Yeah, you don't want to do that to people. <laughs> exactly. Today's show is brought to you by The Message, an original science fiction podcast from Panoply and GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s. Have you listened to it yet? Not yet. Uh, We're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now, Um, sounds like a no. Well, we don't really know what it is. Voices, music, breathing. But, you know, I'm not going to mess with that thing. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. Subscribe to The Message on iTunes. So when you went freelance, how long ago was that now? Like full-time? Five years. Okay. Was that scary? Yes. Yeah, because I'm such a nice girl from the suburbs with a 401k. It's totally Uh scary. I'd never even been like a, a... freelance consultant or all these jobs that people have that I've never, I never had. Yeah. Um, and so, and it was so weird because people would ask you instantly. They feel like you've, you know, my coworkers, my old colleagues would feel like I'd broken through to the other side and they'd say, mm-hmm. you know, oh my God, like how much are you loving it? And that question doesn't leave room for the truth, which is sort of 
well, not at all right now, uh-huh. actually. I feel yeah. kind of depressed, and I'm eating... I'm alone. Not, I'm alone all day, and I'm not eating cheese doodles in bed, but the fact that I could is very depressing to me. Yeah, <laughs> that, totally. that there's no consequences, or immediate consequences, like yeah. long-term. I won't have... Did your hygiene kind of go downhill? Hygiene fades. Totally. Clothing fades? Y- yeah, you don't, for- need, you don't need any. You don't need any. Or you don't need to buy new ones No wonder anything. you're on the Amish website. <laughs> just, <laughs> just spent my morning trolling Amish websites for fashion advice. It's sort of a rock bottom time period. But then I got used to it and now I really, really love it. Do you write from home or do you work write from like a shared workspace? I want to write. I don't do the shared workspace well. I can edit in public, mm-hmm. but I cannot. I need to be absolutely alone when I write from scratch. Cool. Just having someone in the room is very weird. What's like a day like for you? How do you organize yourself? They're all super different, but I have a few rules that I try to adhere to, even though I break them. But I try to write in the morning when I'm the most fresh. I try to write early. Do you drink coffee? I drink a few cups of coffee a week because it oh. turns out that I'm like mildly allergic to it. Uh-oh. I know. So, and I, when I called my doctor, I was having this like weird medical side effect. This is too much information, but I called my doctor and I was like, I explained my symptoms and she said, you should probably cut out caffeine. Can I ask you what your symptoms were? They are uh, lady related. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, well, that's good for all of our listeners. It is good. Well, I'll just, I'll tell, I'm If actually, you think it's chlamydia, it's not. It's You're not allergic chlamydia. to coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. It's not syphilis. That'll be the title of my next book. Um, no, I mean, I actually, okay, I'll just tell you. Surprise. You know, when you get your, like, um, they're sort of typical symptoms and one of them is like, a soreness in the chest uh-huh. region. Mine were incredibly sore to the point of wow. like almost not being able to walk around. And it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And then I called, and I think it has something to do with the blood vessels and what caffeine does to your blood wow, vessels that's really interesting. and the circulation. And apparently a lot of women have this. I just have it really badly. So your boobs got extra sore. Extra sore. Wow. I mean, and so I called, yeah, I called my gynecologist. It's not that private. I don't know. It's not like you're labia swollen there's no yeah i was like they're like oh you shouldn't have pierced that yeah no 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 it's just like it's just like more like in the amish garden right it's not that weird um but it's just like more like um so i called her and she was like you have to cut out caffeine and there was this pause on the phone and i said red wine and she's like what i'm like dairy gluten and she's like this is not a negotiation i'm like i'm a writer you can't take away my caffeine totally (laughs) but i've actually gotten pretty used to it but i can't have like green tea either it's not just i have a wine allergy and i don't it's just sulfites is it just sulfites yes my sister has it does your throat close up my throat's always closing up for some reason i don't know what's wrong with me but um, (laughs) (laughs) the face she's making at me right now is like so (laughs) perplexed like you freak um no my i get really sniffly and i sneeze a lot and then I'll be sniffly like the whole next day. It's kind of like a sweet mouse-like allergy, though. I know. That's it's like a cute allergy. That's not like hives, which is not cute. Yeah. Yeah. No. But anyway, so I write. <laughs> yeah, tell me about your day. I'm totally going to do it. Without coffee. It. Without but- coffee. I go get decaffeinated coffee or I take a walk. And then I make sure to make my bed. Otherwise, it's very depressing. Otherwise, because I work in, from home, even though I have a one bedroom, I don't like the disorder of it as bad. And then I write until about lunch, and then I write a little bit afterwards, and then I start hitting, and I'm sure you've done this with your book, too, where you hit that time period where it's like one sentence an hour, and you're like, oh, I need a cookie. Uh And you're like, okay, this is, actually, I'm almost hurting the book by working on it. It's time to walk away. How long does it take before you hit that? Sometime around three or four. And then... yeah. I read or I go somewhere else. I I mean, that's, I mean, I'd be very interested. All different writers do all different things and have different schedules and tricks and Mm -hmm. rules. But I, it would be interesting for me if you found the one writer or anyone found the one writer who starts at 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. No one does that. That's a bad time. That oh, time in the that. afternoon. Really? Well, okay, with well, wine. Yeah. Ah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of it's like, I mean, my process was a lot of therapy, just recording myself, just talking about stuff and then right. kind of parsing out what it was that I was good at. Is that how you wrote the book? You recorded yourself? Yeah. There was a lot of recording and transcription and then like piecing apart the themes and wow, having a proposal really helped. Mm-hmm. Well, nonfiction, I think, is also different because you so can check different. off... Especially not narrative nonfiction, but the kind of your, yours. I mean, yeah. where you 
you can check off a time period or you can check check off a chapter and you're like, have mm-hmm. I said enough about motivation? Finance. Have I said enough about finance? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be this like interwoven right. character development, all of those things. Right. It's wow. it's writing a novel feels more exposing to me than writing nonfiction. Speaking of exposure, hmm. have you? I've already, I've already addressed my my painful breath. Let's keep going. No, don't you? You don't have to show them to me. Um, Let the record show. I did not just try to take off my shirt. No, she's wearing she's wearing a Navajo blanket. Yes, I am. It's kind of a Navajo blanket. No, no it's actually really cute. Thanks. Um, you're not super confessional in your writing, but you do no. pull from real life. Do you have a boyfriend like when you date do people say like hey will you like not write about this have you ever had to have like conversations like that oddly no I guess I I give off a an air of trust yeah I feel safe I feel safe (laughs) no they should feel safe because the truth is is I don't write about relationships that much like I've written one essay in my first collection about boys I had dated who all gave me ponies as a gift plastic ponies okay wait that's the first chapter of um, I was told there'd be cake uh-huh. yeah. yeah and then there's an essay at the end of how did you get this number the second book that's one of the more emotional raw things I've ever written that is about a relationship where it turns out a guy was seeing another woman the entire time mm-hmm. at the same time you know I was like it's it's sort of about that and then with the novel wait, that really happened to you yeah oh my god yeah and then with the novel I feel like those the main characters aren't really based on anyone in particular. They're just based on living in the world. Therefore, I think that if guys have read my stuff, which I hope they have after we've been dating for a certain mm-hmm. period of time, it's almost weird if they do it before. And strange if they don't do it at all at a certain point. Yeah, totally. It's like a sweet spot of when it's appropriate to yeah, do that. I exactly. wouldn't even know what it is, but they know that I, I tend to not. Yeah. That's not really what That's I write cool. about. But I am, but I, I don't think my boyfriend is in any danger of... Cool getting hopefully he's hearing this and he's he's gonna listen to your podcast (laughs) he'll listen to the podcast he will because he's supportive cool he's very supportive we like him what's his name chris hi chris hi chris um (laughs) do you consider yourself a romantic yeah oh really i would cool i sound like i'm not i'm sure but no no i don't know i'm just yeah i'm sure i am in some way i think i am i think although the problem is is that i'm more of a storyteller than a romantic which is unfortunate because I tend to, to put it in Oprah language, not live in the moment so much and mm-hmm. write, like play the chess game and be like, okay, so I accidentally pigeonhole people or I think, oh, well, you're the kind of person who's going to do this and this is how this is going to go. And I sort of write really the ending romantic. of the story. Right. That's but, a great person to date. But at, the same, but at the same time, though, I then put too much stock, though, in like first meetings and the, yeah. the context, you know. Totally. First meetings are weird. I was like, oh, my God, she's so much more educated. She's re- writing, like, real literature. And <laughs> I just wrote, like, a funny book. <laughs> no, it's... Well, but the thing is, is that, like, my books are full of sort of pop culture stuff. And it's funny because people will often say, oh, it's it's high-low, right? The, the writing... But what they're referring to as low is often the best descriptor I can think of for something. Yeah, So when I, I say it's like this episode of The Bachelorette or it's like this or it's like that. It's not because I'm trying to mix it up. It's because that is where my mind went. What advice would you have for someone who wants to get into writing or maybe even isn't sure what they want to do yet with their career? I think I would tell them that A, write everything down, even if you think it's irrelevant. And that also there are no mistakes that you can make with your career. It all weaves back together eventually. You know, I felt like I'd wasted a year working for a literary agent that did not appreciate my talents, and there were few of them. <laughs> not, and there were many. And it was such a miserable experience, but ended up being what I think is probably the strongest essay in the first collection. So who knows? And then I think for writers specifically, a couple things are going on right now with women writers specifically, and that is that the idea of this confessional essay that, you know, tell me your deepest, darkest secrets. And then sometimes they're really deep and they're really dark. And, you know, they get paid, depending on the website or the magazine, anywhere between you know $250 and $1,500 for them. And that's their life. And then now that's out there. And so mm-hmm. don't sell yourself short. And also, it's an equal experience. It's almost the same kind of experience that you should have on a job interview for a job you really want, where you should go into it thinking... I would be lucky to have this job, but they would be lucky to have me. Mm -hmm. And I think don't forget that second part. And 
in terms of your own value and don't let anyone, you know, I know this is terrible that we still have to talk like this, but ask yourself when you're emailing with an editor, you know, who hasn't gotten back to you, who said they were going to get you edits back and Mm -hmm. is like, oh, sorry, it's been really busy or, you know, instead of responding to your question, you know, is like, oh, am I going to see you at this party or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. Ask yourself if they would talk to their male writers the same way. Mm -hmm. And by the way, sometimes the answer is yes. It's a personality thing. People speak with their actions and not their words. Yes, they do. That's what I learned kind of over and over again. I know. It's a symbiotic relationship if you're writing for a publication. Just remember that. Cool. Do you have any productivity hacks? Like, do you walk around with a notebook? Do you use an app on your phone? There's got to be all kinds of things as you go about your day and notice something like, uh, there's two hairs coming out of this pore, which I read, um, which I love, because I thought I was the only person that had that going on, um, (laughs) (laughs) on my nipple. Um, That's where, you know, that's okay, you're a grown woman. so fucking weird. How do you keep these things that you pick up throughout the course of your day, and how do you organize them? Sometimes I just remember them, but I have to say, if you do that trick, you know, as most people do, almost when they're falling asleep, they think oh, that's a good idea, but I'm too tired to write it down. I'll come back to it because you think, well, if it's good, my brain will retrace its steps and Mm -hmm. it won't. It's not the idea. It's your brain's not good enough. Um, So you try to write things down. I text myself things or email myself things because if they're just in a little notebook, I won't look sometimes. And it's sometimes I feel a little self-conscious if I'm on the subway whipping out a notepad. Yeah. And it's easier to just pretend you're texting someone when, in fact, you're texting yourself notes on the person sitting yeah. across from you. Cool. So you should be wary if you ever see me texting in public. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so we, I just kind of started doing this thing called girl boss moments. Each week I describe my girl boss moment and the thing that I learned. And I'm going to I'm encouraging our listeners to tweet in and Instagram comment with hashtag girl boss moment what it is that they've done in the last week that they can feel proud of, even if it's just getting an inch closer to something that they will feel ultimately proud of. Yeah. What What would you say is your girl boss moment of the last week, Sloan? Of the last week? Yeah. I think it was probably proactively figuring out an angle for the clasp for for the novel because it's hard to get novels attention and one of the things that's interesting about the clasp is that it comes in three different colors it's so beautiful thank that you that cover is thank so you. beautiful it's i love crazy. it i love it there's also um I'm giving this away, but there's a tiny little gold embossed clasp on the actual inside I look, of the jacket. I saw. Oh, you saw? Yeah. I love it. Um, I, like, oh, I love the spine. The like, spine, the whole thing. Really it's pretty. really beautiful. Yeah. They did such a nice job. But the thing is, it comes in these three colors because it's fun, and it's unusual for a cover to come in three colors, yeah. in blue, in yellow, and in hot pink, which was a sort of risk because uh-huh. I was like, oh, jicky. <laughs> no. But I love it. I actually think it's like kind it's of like very a badass. Instagrammable. Yeah, it's yeah. like kind of a very cool hot pink. Mine's baby pink. So. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But, um, yeah, but you have that great cover, picture of your I love the, the cover. It's great. It's like a superwoman. It's funny. I like it. But I realized that, you know, you have to be proactive about, you know, and as hard as everyone is working on the book, I thought, well, wait a minute. If it comes in these three colors and I've had guy friends who have ordered it online and not had a choice in their colors and have thought, you know, isn't there some algorithm that doesn't send me the pink one? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I said, A, can you get like a little more comfortable with your sexuality for five (laughs) seconds? Um, B, take the cover off. You're so upset. And C, I thought, well, wait a minute. The book has a funny incentive for you to buy it in stores because you can choose. Uh And so, all three colors. All three colors. Collect all three. Uh-huh. I would love to say they were all different inside. Bummer, they are not. They're uh-huh. all the same inside. <laughs> but just this idea of like a technique yeah. of how to sell it yeah. that I brought to my publishing house. And that was sort of a, I suppose that was a girl boss moment. That's super cool. I've never heard yeah. of that before. Do you think you'll do a follow-up to the class? You know, it's funny. These three characters. So it ends in a different way than I thought it would when it began. Because it is a love triangle, which automatically makes it musical chairs, right? Someone... Mm-hmm someone doesn't get everything Mm -mm. and I think it's going to take me a while because I'm sort of in mourning for it I miss them which sounds like crazy but you do start thinking of them as real and I just need I want to go back to essays for a while and then maybe I can see myself revisiting the themes in the clasp but I think that they might be this this might be your only shot to spend time with them okay we have a few questions from the internet The first one is from Twitter. It's Matt Johnson at Matthew M. J. My question, how did writing about characters shape your thoughts and emotions about other people? 
That is, I, I feel like I should be very political. Thank you, Matt Johnson. <laughs> it's shaped them a lot. I mean, I think that especially with some of these characters, they're not always likable, but hopefully they're realistic and relatable. And I wanted to get my brain into the mind of a girl who would put up with some of the stuff that she puts up with in the book. I wanted to get my brain into and really empathize with Nathaniel, who's kind of a jerk. And I thought, what does the jerk have for breakfast? How does he check his mail? What does he want? What is, what's his motivation, in short? And so, especially since the book is two-thirds from male perspectives, it's made me um, much more empathetic towards different kinds of guys writing hmm. that book. From CrossFit Kappa, what is a way you overcome writer's block? I think trying to write when you don't feel like it is probably like trying to scare yourself out of the hiccups. It's mm-hmm. like you're putting all this pressure on yourself and it doesn't, you can't do it for yourself almost. So you need a kind of an outside source. So go get stimulation from something that is not writing. Like I, I mean, there are different moments in my life when I've picked up a novel that I really respect or nonfiction that I really respect to try to see what I'm aspiring to. But for the most part, like, Go to a museum, have coffee with a friend, go for a walk. And then the best thing I can say and what I say to myself all the time is go play with your toy. Go play with it. Mm -hmm. You're just playing, you know, and then I find the writing comes a lot easier and also probably better. I think a reader can feel it when you're stressed out and stretching. Yeah. Like don't judge your process. Yeah. It's actually probably your your mind is more sparkly and active. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Last one, Finding Silver Linings asks, how do you commit to one idea and know it's the right one? Oh, my gosh. I feel like that question could be applied to human beings, too. Um, (laughs) Everything. (laughs) Everything. Someone's told me that a successful business is one that makes money for you while you're sleeping. You know, when you've, you've already, the events that you've set into motion are concrete and they're working for you. And the same thing actually kind of works creatively, where... You know, when you go back and revisit these chapters, do you feel like you're building on something that's solid? Do you feel like you're, it's an extension of an idea that you really still like? Or do you mm-hmm. feel like you're wandering farther down this, like, rickety path where, what am I even writing? So you know that it's the right idea. And, like, for the class, once I, like, built this world of these people, and then I would, it would be almost like someone else wrote those first hundred pages, even though I very much did. But, mm-hmm. you know, you could take stuff from it that was concrete. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Sloan, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. This was really fun. nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is awesome. All right, that was Girl Boss Radio. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week, so please tune in. Our producer is Shara Morris. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter at Girl Boss, on Instagram at Girl Boss. You can email us at podcast at girlboss.com, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram under Sophia Amoruso, A-M-O-R-U-S-O. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. And thanks also to the band Phases. Our new theme song is from their song, I'm in Love With My Life. And thanks to Joel Graf for our interstitial jam. I'm Sophia Amoruso. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>